Up next, Biz 503, the Portland-centric podcast for startups and small businesses. We believe it, we live it, and there's something about Brand Portland that has taken a meteoric rise in our world. Welcome to Biz 503, the Portland startup and small business podcast from Portland Radio Project. I'm Dave Barcos, founder of the Bridge Incubator in Vancouver, Washington. Being based in Vancouver, I can tell you, as Portland's north neighbor, there are a lot of successful businesses that are going on there that are going on under the radar. I'm here with two officers from Vancouver-based companies, and we're going to be talking about the work that they do and how Vancouver has been growing and changing. Colton Telford is the chief operating officer of Panko Foods. Their signature product is Pan's Mushroom Jerky. Hey, Colton, thanks for being here. Hey, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. And we also have Charles Swatzel, who's the Chief Strategy Officer at Formos. It's a Vancouver software company that's been doing some amazing work. He's also a director with the Bridge Incubator. Good to see you again, Charles. You as well, Dave. Colton, I want to start out with you because mushroom jerky is one of those things that's an oxymoron. People just don't connect it. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what the product and how it came about. So basically, uh, Michael Pan, my partner, on a trip uh, a number of years back to visit family in uh, Malaysia, was hanging out with his uncle and a group of people. Um, they are vegans and they're uh, Buddhist and therefore vegans, uh, kind of sharing food over kind of a get together and reached his hand into a bowl of what he thought was like a meaty snack that his uncle produced, threw it in his mouth, was absolutely in love with it, thought, what is this? And he shared with them that it was mushroom jerky. So basically he said, I... I love this. People in the U.S. have to hear about this. And so he started almost immediately just working on uh, importing it, creating a, a path to the market here. That was about eight years ago. He started doing it full time about two years ago. Yeah. And so uh, basically using no meat, no soy, no fillers, just organic shiitake mushrooms and clean ingredients. We produce a nice umami flavor and a nice meaty textured snack. Yeah. Love. It's amazing. And I think as soon as uh, you and I actually both met um, Michael as he was in this mm -hmm. process and helped him with an early stage accelerator, one of the challenges that we had was how to grow that in a market that has a different flavor expectation. And the thing they found out is it was really appealing, not just inside of the vegetarian and vegan community, but for standard carnivores, standard meat eaters. It is an amazing taste. Right. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, one of the biggest challenges with initially coming over here is with something like mushroom jerky is you're creating an entire new category. So creating an entire new category, trying to get people to, to know about it, to even just try it. I mean, if you remember when we were running Mike through the accelerator we ran together, you know, one of the biggest headaches he had at the time was just getting people to try it because, you know, <laughs> mushrooms can be pretty polarizing. But at the same time, that's also one of the things that makes it less complicated and easier to get into the market in a weird sort of juxtaposition and just that people are also like, it happens every time we go out, they're like, mushroom jerky? And they give you that kind of look. And then the, so that curiosity about, you know, and so it's not something that's marketed just towards the plant-based diet people. It is just a great meaty textured snack for anybody who wants a great meaty textured snack. Yeah, yeah. You really find people that are interested in... Um, adventurous, you know, food choices too, right. right? They're really attracted to it. But I think Michael shared really early on some of the trade shows and, and things that he had done, finding people uh, that were just dyed in the wool meat eaters that came out and said, I love this. I just had that experience at South by Southwest a couple months ago. I went back and was demoing it there and having just moved up from Texas, the San Antonio, Austin area and growing up in Texas on beef jerky. 
I was really interested to see what the response was going to be from kind of your hardcore Texas meat eater <laughs> crowd. I had more people than I could tell you that were in that hardcore kind of crowd that were like, oh my goodness, I would eat this every single day. That is in place of normal jerky. That is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought it was really interesting when uh, you mentioned that he came uh, or started originally as an importer. And one of the things that has happened is you've brought over production over into the state. So you're actually manufacturing it here. Yep. And that's allowed you some really great opportunities. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and how that's changed the game. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think, you know, having it produced in uh, Malaysia where it was and then shipping it here from his uncle, the original process, uh, any sort of iteration, any sort of changes, tweaking and all that was a months-long process because of the shipping, the production, and all that. Getting it into a kitchen over here, producing it ourselves, uh, it makes the iterative process so much quicker. If there's a change in flavor we want to do, if there's even a change in packaging, just having that entire process over here now under our control just means that we can move faster, scale quicker. We have access to different resources. And so, you know, obviously shipping costs and like that, shipping it over from Asia as well, all those factored in. So it made perfect sense to start producing it here as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's amazing. And and how big is the staff right now? I mean, when I met, it was Michael that was importing and it's grown a lot over the last six months even. It's grown. So obviously I came on board a few months ago. Um, we've got uh, Shannon who does our marketing and, and et cetera that moved over from Boston. And then uh, we now have a staff in the kitchen of three to five people on a typical day. So it's definitely grown. And I just put out a, a call to most of Portland uh, to get more people on board. So as we're scaling, we're, we're definitely growing quickly. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and you've been based in Vancouver. Michael's been based in Vancouver. You have a shared kitchen in Portland, so we're really kind of a, a very regional business. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe we were talking a little bit about what Vancouver kind of brings to that mix, right? The network that's up there and things that have happened. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about how that's benefited Michael and you as, as you're growing this. Well, I think the first and most obvious example for us, you and I met in kind of my neighborhood coffee shop as I was an entrepreneur who had just moved up from Texas and didn't know anybody. So you and I met, started running the bridge, and then Michael came through as one of kind of the accelerator clients. And just what I noticed immediately after that is getting plugged into the Vancouver entrepreneurial scene. It's different than any other entrepreneurial scene I've been in, whether it be Austin or San Antonio, San Diego, places I've worked at, is there is a true sense of, as cliche as it may sound, of community. And all these people from different businesses, different walks of life, uh, cupcake makers, you know, um, mushroom jerky makers, software people, all these people come together and really network and truly try and help each other work out. A, a good friend of mine uh, who we met in a coffee shop ended up through our conversations becoming the COO of an um, educational startup that's fantastic over there. So we have amazing resources, amazing different variety of businesses and the sense of community and all helping each other out to kind of get to that next level or even just provide resources for staffing or funding or all that. And right now what's really interesting is over the past few months, um, in downtown Vancouver, a co-working space, a fantastic new co-working space called CoLab has opened up. And the the sheer variety and generosity and community feeling in that group of people that are working there, you have 20 different businesses, all from different walks of life, marketing, and there's a group in there producing videos for how to treat millennials in the workplace, all the kind of um, interesting businesses, and they all work together. And it's a very community tight held uh, group of people. It's It's been essential to being able to get up here and get my feet on the ground as an entrepreneur much, much quicker. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's funny you mentioned that. I've always seen that Portland had this view of east side and west side. People in the west side don't commute to the east side. The east side doesn't commute to the west side. And Portland kind of sits in the center. But I think 
over the last year, Vancouver's really kind of come alive as Portland's upside. They really are. There are tax advantages. There are a really strong community that's engaging. All those things, I think, are really changing the face of it. So, yeah, and it's awesome to have you come up and be a part of that as well. You know, honestly, I'd like to take credit for that. I think once I got up here from (laughs) Texas is when the scene really changed. I'm just throwing that out there as an observation. Coincidence? It's on you. I'll give you that credit. I don't think anybody else will, but I think I'm the only one, too. Uh, going back to Panko, uh, you guys are in the middle of some really big changes. When we first met uh, Michael, he was in, I think, about 65, 70 stores, um, and that's changed incredibly. You're looking at, you know, full-scale distribution and, you know, some much larger contracts. You're getting some national recognition at food shows and things. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the path ahead and what's going on with Panko there. Yeah, so it's been a crazy growth cycle. And, you know, people always talk about that hockey stick growth models where you're kind of going to hit that inflection point and kind of take off and it's been an interesting uh, journey to go from being in around 65 uh, local co-ops and you know two to three store chain type of operations to now being at looking at scaling up uh, into the next year into your regional areas 13 15 store locations we're on pace to make it is by the end of this year to be nationally distributed. So we've already had the interest from lots of uh, national retailers, international retailers, in fact, that that really want the product. So we're scaling up to that. We're doing it in a a very uh, specific fashion to scale at a pace that uh, allows a business to be sustainable over time. But the interest in the product has been just overwhelming. I mean, we had a national magazine feature us uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Cooking Light featured us. Uh, we've had an insane amount of press just over the past few months. And that really came on the back of getting the product over here, launching uh, three new flavors, actually four because the original was even altered and come up from scratch. So once we launched the new flavors and then new packaging and all that, it seems like it's just taken off like crazy. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the new flavors. That was something that I really wanted mm-hmm. to hit on. Some of the flexibility of bringing the production over has allowed you the opportunity to do that. Um, what are the new flavors? So right now we have we have the original, which was uh, based off the original recipe that his uncle made. So it's non-flavored beyond just the original mushroom taste and, and the in- ingredients uh, that we already have in it, the natural ingredients. And then we have our zesty Thai, uh, applewood barbecue, and uh, sea salt and pepper. And then we have uh, four more flavors in the in the pipeline as we speak. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's it's been really exciting to see the company grow and, and Michael and, and the success he's been having. Because I think that was also he was positioning new packaging and, and all these other pieces um, really kind of came at a transition point from fancy food show seemed to be mm-hmm. one of the with the bigger national shows. Um, and you were rated one of the top brands to watch. Yeah, as a matter of fact, on I, he brought home the cheat sheet that uh, retailers and people were given as they walk in that kind of highlights people. And the number one thing on that sheet of products to see was Pan's Mushroom Jerky. And I, I've got to say, at that time, I was just kind of helping as a friend coming down to the kitchen. I had some free time. And uh, so I went and did South by Southwest because he had to be at Expo West um, just as a favor. And that's when I got to see it really firsthand was just that the intake of people and the uptake of people that were just blown away by the the flavors and the product was pretty impressive. Yeah. It's been on a kind of whirlwind since a fancy food show. Yeah, it's awesome. It's been great to see it start to come alive and, and really... Like I say, part of being part of that entrepreneurial community, there's diversity of software companies and uh, service companies and uh, mushroom jerky. Who would have thought it? That's great. Well, so I know there's one question that everybody's asking, which is how do you get it? Where do I find it? 
So right now, locally, uh, the easiest way, to be honest, depending on where you live, is just go on the website and there's a retailer locator. So if you're uh, in the Portland area where all the uh, co-ops, uh, Alberta Food Co-op, Food Fight, at the airport, uh, we're coming soon to regional, big regional chains. I don't want to announce too much, uh, as, but we're, we're definitely in that dance with all the regional chains and, and working on that scaling. So uh, obviously we ship direct. It's free shipping regardless of the quantity. And then, like I said, the easiest way is just to go on mushroomjerky.com. There's a retailer locator that will tell you right in your neighborhood where you can find it. That's awesome. Colton, thank you again. After a quick break, I'll talk to Charles Swatzel from Formos about software as a service and the Vancouver tech scene. Support for Biz503 comes from Premium Websites, offering website and social media marketing to startups and small businesses. For more, go to premiumwebsites.net. Welcome back to Biz503. I'm Dave Barkos. In this segment, Charles Swatzel joins us from Formos. It's a software development company based in Vancouver. Charles, software development companies are always really broad and focused, and Formos does a lot of amazing things. But when it comes to like software as a service, maybe you can talk about exactly what you do for your customers. Yeah, so software as a service is, is a pretty broad labeling of what software may be. It's basically anything that you may one day pay a license for to access or um, that somebody else has built that you're going to use and label in order to run your company. Um, we kind of think of this as maybe when we do our taxes or other things like that, maybe even like Salesforce or, or other companies uh, that provide SaaS solutions. At Foremost, we tend to build mostly business SaaS solutions. So our client base tends to be a lot of larger companies that have spent years building out infrastructure of kind of cobbled together out of the box SaaS solutions. So they might have one for human resources, they might have one for accounting, another one to manage clients. And all of them combined as they grow end up not really serving their need. They, they need something a little bit more custom to what they're doing. So what we do at, at Foremost is we step in and we provide one single software solution to meet all of those different needs. And we do that for the majority of our large clients. Um, and we also spend a lot of time just building really cool stuff. <laughs> so people who have the next great thing, whether they're building the next great housing app or you know, trying to just come up with a better way to attract clients or to go and find um, sales leads or things like that, we're able to step in and uh, invent alongside them and be their technology arm to build uh, their great idea. Yeah. Now you came on as chief strategy officer in 2016. Um, and that came out through a relationship because you were actually working with a startup and a software company uh, that engaged them. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So a number of years ago, I was uh, one of the founding members of what's now known as the OneApp Oregon team. At that point, it was the No App Fee team. Um, I'd come out of real estate working in, in large software projects and that, and I'd come on to, uh, to grow that piece of software. Um, we spent about a year and a half and a lot more money than um, I'd like to talk about um, in India, trying to get the technology built. And uh, we're going through due diligence with a couple local Oregon funds. And they looked at our technology and they told us that it wasn't good enough. Um, but none of us inside knew how to fix it. And so what they ended up doing was they referred us to a company called Formos, who came in and looked at all the stuff that had taken us years to build and said, hey, we'll build this for you in about two and a half, three months. And it's going to cost you less than you've spent to date. And uh, of course, I looked at them as the internal guy on the client side, and I just said, well, you're lying. Like, you can't do that. Nobody can do that. If you're a software company and you're going to tell me a date, I know I need to double that. If you give me a budget, I know I need to double that, and that's what I'm going to take to my investors. 
And they looked me in the eye and they said, you know, I know why you feel that way, but you can trust us. We'll do it. And I took a shot and signed up and, and took them on as our uh, contract uh, software vendor. And they ended up delivering 15 days before deadline and under budget. And I thought they, there was something special. I had no idea what they were doing, but it was unique. Um, and so we've now done 30 some odd iterations on that technology um, through how tech startups go and things like that. I was offered a position to come in and do a lot of what I've been doing for Noafi um, for Foremost and help grow this best kept secret in Vancouver <laughs> and share it with the other startups that I was net networking with. And so I, I ended up joining them as their chief strategy officer in 2016. And we still work on the one app project. We're still, you know, every day I have a team dedicated to that and I get to play part in that. And uh, uh, so it's been a really great transition. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great story. I think of, you know, and the company was so good. I bought the company, you know, yeah. I, I, I've yeah. come on, I've come on board because you believed in it so much. And I think part of what is unique about what Foremost does is that there's structure. You've got the regional office or the home office is based in Vancouver, but you've got a development team that's international. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how that structure plays out. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's interesting to say that we actually have a team internationally, right? At Foremost, we are a full lifecycle development company. And so none of what we do is farmed out. So when we decided in 2008 that we wanted to open an offshore office, our CEO actually picked up and moved to Vietnam and built an American-style development company in Ho Chi Minh City. And it's probably because that's the only type of development company he knew how to build, was one that worked off American standards and was ready to deliver products to American clients. So we have built a team in Ho Chi Minh over the years, growing fairly slowly. We intentionally don't want to grow too fast because we have just such great... Uh, discipline about what it is that we're delivering. We've gone as far as like we've even written our own software to manage our own projects. Um, but all of our projects, although they are mostly developed overseas, have an American project manager and the architecture is done here in America. And what that allows us to do is it, it allows us to not lose a lot of what you tend to lose when you offshore things with the like knowledge transfer, the actual understanding of, well, how does a rental house work in America? Um, they may not know in other countries. They may not have social security numbers. They may not have these things that are fundamental to us as Americans. And so because we're able to architect and really put American focus on how we approach these and then have our team overseas, we leverage them to fill in a lot of what we outline. We've been able to deliver really great products. I mean, there are countries in this world that use our software that we wrote to keep themselves safe. And medical practices that, you know, rely on what we've built in order to make sure that their client records stay safe and that their appointments are on time and that prescriptions aren't messed up. And we're able to do that affordably because we can leverage an offshore resource that we have full control over, that, that we have, you know, American management oversight at times uh, within that office. Yeah, I think that that's part of a, a really interesting growing story, which is really notable, uh, powerful companies that are based in Vancouver, not doing a lot of work regionally, actually doing work all over the globe, but they just happen to be based in Vancouver. Yeah, again, I'd like to say that Foremost is one of Vancouver's best kept secrets, right? I mean, we, we actually have a lot of clients that are in Vancouver. We have far more clients that we work with out of Vancouver than we do that are in the, the Portland actual like metro area. And a lot of those companies are gigantic. 
are larger than most companies in Portland. And nobody <laughs> knows they exist. They just hang out across the river and yeah. do really exciting, great things. But I tend to say those companies in Vancouver tend to be more busy just doing good things and making right. really cool stuff yeah. and less time talking about it on Facebook. Yeah. And so we don't know about it. We just don't know it exists. I think that, that goes back to the, a point that Colton made um, about the community that's there. What's happening up in Vancouver is a community that is very engaged, wants to contribute, wants to connect, and you know isn't doing the opportunities because we're all heads down on the work. But the sentiment of the individuals up there is, God, I want to see Vancouver grow. I want to connect with other people doing great things. How do we do that? And I think that's part of the momentum that's really happening now. Yeah, I think business in Vancouver makes sense. I mean, beyond just the tax benefits of being in Washington. But, it, you know, I, I look Wait, at it and I there's go... there's tax benefits? Yeah, there, are, there are a few if you're in Vancouver. But, um, you know, I think about it, you know, if I'm successful in business in any part in the country and I'm getting ready to exit or to do something great or to make great changes in my company, there's only a few places that you want to be based in order to get that big check and be able to keep some of it. Um, and Vancouver is one of that. And what it's done is it's centralized a lot of really talented, knowledgeable people who also tend to have some money behind them in that market. And so not so much for what we do in, in at Foremost, but in just the tech startup community in general, it is an amazing ecosystem made up of these people who, who've done it before. They've been there. They've done that. They now have the T-shirt and the money to do it again, and they're going to get busy doing work again. And it's that doer mentality that we have in Vancouver. You know, we, we've hosted the Startup Weekend there the last two years. Mm -hmm. And every year, we, this is a weekend where people come together with people they don't know and brainstorm an idea. And by the end of a weekend, pitch a business idea. And every year we've done that, some of those ideas have actually spun off to be real businesses that have real money. Like this yep. is a town of people who want to do stuff. And, yeah. and that's really valuable. Yeah, it really is. We find people that want to jump in and engage. And we're finding um, as we build it, I think, you know, you'd say we're part of this ground floor that's really going on. And it's not just around tech, it's around entrepreneurship. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll speak from the Bridges point of view. Uh, what we do is really talk about high impact and scalable businesses as much as uh, Main Street businesses. Uh, but I think, you know, across the board, we're seeing people that want to uh, engage and, and do stuff. And I think that's exciting. Yeah, you mentioned having some Vancouver clients. You don't have to name them as well, but start to talk about whether that's been your focus or whether that's part of something that you want to see grow more in for, with Foremost. Yeah, Vancouver, you know, we've played an active role in the community uh, since we were founded in 2002. Uh, we've been in Vancouver since the beginning. And, you know, in Vancouver, I have stories about me going and just talking business with a friend at, you know, Compass Coffee. And before I leave Compass Coffee, somebody chases me out the door. It's like, wait, 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 did you, did you mention Dave Barcos? Are you, do you know that, that Rewear's coming to town? Like, wait, what's going on? And people want, um, they want to engage in that way. And so I think the ability to pick up local clients in Vancouver happens to be because we are there and we can't really keep it a secret from the people who are next door to us, um, how cool Foremost is and, and how great we are at what we do. But I think it's been also just really insightful because you know, we talk about it at Foremost that we tend to not be, we're not the flashy kids that are going to build some really amazing front end system for your coffee shop. Right. We're going to build the really tough stuff that's slowing down your business. We're going to get in and get really, you know, our hands dirty with subject matter to make sure that we can build a really solid piece of security software. And those companies, a lot of them just so happen to be in, in Vancouver that, that need that. And, and we are a logical partner for them, even though, from Vancouver, a lot of their development is getting done in our office in Vietnam. Right. Yeah. 
Right. Well, I think it's a great dichotomy of the difference that we can, you know, work locally as well and, and just have that much larger reach as well. Yeah. And we're face to face. You know, uh, one of right. our big goals at Foremost is to show up and to be there and to sit down with our clients and talk about what their ideas are and really work through them. And so it's really, it is beneficial to have the local clients. And then we take the knowledge we gain from that and hopefully become somewhat subject matter experts in whatever it is they need us to build. And then we try to transfer that to our team uh, wherever they may be. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I don't want to signal a mass exodus of Portland companies coming up to, well, I take that back. Maybe I do. Um, but for Portland companies or, or other people that are coming, considering Vancouver, talking about, you know, this is a home of their operations. What advice could you give them about that? Um, you know, I like the size of Vancouver today, but I am okay with it growing. And I, I have enough property that I think I'll benefit from, you know, more people <laughs> moving into town. But it, it's one of those things that if you can move to Vancouver, in Vancouver, we were always worried, can we get the tech talent? Can we get the right people? And then what we realized is people don't want to make the commute. And Vancouver being a feeder to, to Portland means there's a ton of tech talent that lives there and drives to Portland every single day. Yeah. And if I can offer them a high paying job that keeps them at home for an extra hour every day, they're going to look at it. They're going to want to do that. Um, the other thing is about a third of our talent in the office comes from Portland. And that reverse commute into Vancouver <laughs> is even better. Yeah. They laugh all the time when I'm in Portland during the day and I have to drive up during rush hour to get back into Vancouver, yeah. but they don't ever face it. They come at eight or nine and they leave at right. five and, and they're the only people going that direction. Yeah. yeah. So it's really just a beneficial place to be. Again, business-wise, there's all those tax reasons. There's this talent reason. There's money. And there's this community that's ready to just help out. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and for those listeners who don't know, it is only 12 minutes. Sounds like it's a whole other state away, which it happens to be. It, it is. But, <laughs> Charles, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure, Dave. And Colton, thanks again for being here. It's my pleasure, Dave. It's a great time. Thank you. And that's a wrap on this episode and this season of Biz 503. This episode was produced by Kobe Hutzler, myself, and Carl Lucky, and edited by Daniel Lin. Biz 503 is a production of Portland Radio Project. Big thanks to PRP podcast coordinator, Nastasia Voison. And I'm Dave Barkos. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you around the bend. <laughs> <laughs>